Okay. What am I what am I listening to? What are you doing over there? You gurg are you gargling right now? Confirmed. Let's should we do like a proper intro? No. anxiety meds that's all people really need to know about us perfect this is this is teach me something good yeah it is it's a this is it's it's a podcast we do sometimes in which (laughs) i coriana dotto uh try to teach and or learn something from her kitty ruby thank you so we're going to each episode we have a different topic one of us teaches the other one about something and today, Katie is going to teach me about what? Canned, canned food. Canned food. So if you were wondering canned the tone food. of this podcast, it's half an hour to 45 minutes about a woman teaching a man all about canned food. <laughs> hey, look, that's not all we do. No, but that's, <laughs> that's all we've planned. That's true. It's fine. Look, whatever. Wait. Can we just require that I be called doctor from now on? Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> right. So, oh, God, we have to change oh, all the pictures now. It's oh, no, we don't. We Corey don't. and Dr. Katie. Freaking Congratulations don't. to thank you, thank you, thank you. Katie for talking for what seemed to be two whole hours about poo-poo and other was, things that cause poo-poo. It was a long time. It, it felt like ages. Yeah, but uh, congratulations. You, you you are now a poop doctor? I'm a poop doctor. Mm. So with this doctorate, does that make you eligible to be more than a barista or just a barista? I think I still can just be a barista. Okay. Hey, that Starbucks, I'm looking for a job. Hire me. Yeah, you could join the. <laughs> you could be a Starbucks partner in no time. I mean, look, kids, <laughs> don't get doctors. Nah. <laughs> don't be a fool. Grad school is a lie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you're I, I entered a profession in which grad school would be a waste of everyone's time, because as far as I know, they haven't invented any new colors for me to be aware of. Uh, <laughs> they only graphic designer. See, but if you had a doctorate, they that's the, that's actually what happens is if you get a doctorate in graphic design, they they introduce you to the secret new guild. Oh, no. With an extra special color canning canning let's talk about canned food um i'm super hype um because as you know and as our our dedicated fan base mostly made up of the banana industry yes and And fbi agents and the fbi agents uh as you all know i have have a degree in food science uh i did some food science work before my doctorate uh and oh, I love it. I just find it so interesting. Um, I think one of the delightful things, and hopefully, hopefully, canned food provides this provides this to our listeners. Uh, I just love 
food science because it's this thing that is so ubiquitous, but the science and research and complexity behind particularly commercial food preparation is vast. Oh, yeah. And it, and it's just really, really, really interesting because these are these things that we take for granted so much. But there's just all of this complex, fascinating world behind it. I'll paint you a picture. Paint me a picture, Katie. It is the first two years of the Napoleonic Wars. So early 1800s. Oh. 1806-ish. That's and, my impression of someone from 1806. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, look. Guys, history was not kind to literally anyone, yeah. but people who were poor enough to be fighting in the Napoleonic Wars, bad time. Bad, bad time all around. Uh, first years, Napoleonic Wars. Okay, cool. French government's like, well, shit. We need to feed these people. Um, you know. Do we? Do we, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with, and like, maybe I'm being unfair. I'm taking some, some factual liberties here, which we never do in this podcast. Absolutely um, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the French government absolutely tried the method of not feeding their soldiers first. That makes sense. There's no way they were like, out the gate, we need to like, give them, give them stuff. They were just like, eh. They'll be fine. They'll be okay. Like, we can just make new ones. We can just make new ones. So I'm going to go with the defo tried um, tried the, the no feeding yeah. first. And so you're a soldier. You're traveling. You're on the battlefield. Like, like the food needs to be preserved. And up until this point, a lot of food preservation was was drying and salting. Yeah, I assume you, know, you just they would just eat jerky based meals right, from now yeah. until eternity. Or like hardtack, which is mm. just like rocks, right? So yeah. like reducing the moisture in a food product, increasing the salt content can help preserve it. And you know, you're talking like I don't know if this was quite I don't I don't know when refrigeration was invented, but I'm gonna tell you right now, if it had been invented, they were not toting refrigerators around. The Napoleonic yeah. Wars. So, how do we pre- how do we how do we preserve food so that so that our soldiers die fighting battles instead of from the shits? Well, uh, let's see. Let me think. Okay. It's eighteen hundred. It's the early eighteen hundreds. Uh, we're sick of salting things. That's true. Uh, do we have jars? Do we have jars? Yeah, we have yeah, jars. Yeah, we have so, jars. So, so yeah, how do we, so you're how do we actually, put the food in the jars? You, congratulations, you get the 12,000 12, francs that they offered to anyone who could devise uh, a cheap method for preserving food. I don't know how much 12,000 francs is now. I don't know how much it was then. I'll look it up. A French franc was about 20 U.S. cents back then. And today that's about $3.70. So 12,000 francs. Okay, so that's 2,400 bucks. Okay. Uh, In now money or then money? Yeah, that's then money. Now it's 8,100 bucks. Can you imagine you got paid 8,100 bucks to invent jarring food? That's like not that much. No, I I would say not. 
Okay. Well, so so the French government was like, "Look, here's here's more money than you peasants will ever make in your lives." That's true. But like, we wipe our asses with this amount. So whatever. Uh, but so in 1809, uh, this guy Nicolas Appert, uh, he's a French confectioner and brewer. Like, just call him a baker. I don't know. If confectioner is a, a, a yeastman. A yeastman, if you will. Oh my God, he is. Yeah. Uh, so he figured out, and his confectioning, yeasting, brewing occupation, that when you put food in a jar and you cooked it in the jar, uh, the food didn't spoil unless the seals leaked. And so he was like, yeah, there's that kind of seal. As it yeah. Um, the 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 seal is shitting all over the floor again. <laughs> now all the food has gone bad. <laughs> Look, you could preserve food, but you had to have a seal with every army regiment. Yeah, absolutely. It was a whole thing. <laughs> Napoleon was a, a renowned battlesman, and this is just one of his innovations. That's true. So, dude was like, look, guys, let's put shit in jars, cook it in the jar, bada bing, bada boom. So, I mean, it worked really well. Like, people still use that method at home. Like, if you can at home or a lot of, like, commercially canned or processed stuff that comes in glass jars is still done in some way similar where you pop it in the glass jar, you heat it all together, and as long as that jar stays sealed, you're good. And it's actually, I mean, it's really, it's it's fascinating in the sense of this was 50 years before, like, we knew that microbes might exist. Like, no one knew why food spoiled. They just knew that it, it did. A lot oh. of people, a lot of people tended to guess, if I'm not mistaken, that it was, like, flies made food go bad. Yeah. But. And, like, they weren't wrong, but they weren't Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or like what miasmas. I think this might have been a little I wanna say that it was a little late for miasma theory, but like the just utter state of disrepair of medical knowledge even to this day really blows the mind. So they, there was probably some still miasma stuff kicking. Um What is miasmas for those who don't oh, know? Oh yes. Um so for a large part of human history People assumed, oh, crap, no, okay, so we were solidly in miasma territory here. Oh, okay. uh, So miasmas were the idea that, like, bad air could make you sick. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so, like, our modern understanding of germ theory, which is the understanding that small microbes exist and transmit to make us sick, uh, didn't come until way recent um and and i i will add the caveat that this is like broadly like european medicine like the fucking this is my side tangent the fucking crusades wiped so much good knowledge off the face of the earth that is correct like like while the fucking like while europeans were just like dying of plague in the middle ages like islamic empires were flourishing oh yeah and then the crusaders were like "Mm, get fucked die we're gonna burn all your texts 
So there's that. And if only they had invented the internet. If only, you know, God, then who knows? They could they have been t- close. They could have texted us. <laughs> like, I I have very cursory knowledge, but my understanding is like like 1300s, like Islamic yeah. society had what was considered very advanced, like medicine and astronomy. And yeah. And then the Crusades were like, nah, if we can't have it, you can't have it. Burn it. Um, <sighs> the things so, done under the name of God. Okay, so rant about Eurocentrism over. Uh, no, no, not over. Paused. Never paused. Yeah, it's never over. It's always happening. So we take for granted the fact that we now know that like microbes cause disease. Um, right. Except for like the sub part of our population that thinks that COVID isn't real because they can't see. I don't know, guys. If it's not in the this, it's not in the Bible, so why should we listen to it? Right, like except like that only applies when it's convenient. And, oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, ugh, good lord! If you don't think COVID is real, just don't reproduce, please. Please don't. Cans of food. Cans of food. Well, um, at this point, we've gotten to jarred food. Yes, so yeah, we're at jar food, right? But everyone's like, oh, cool. We put stuff. In sealed containers. Great. Awesome. He wins the prize. Except, like, they didn't use it because jars are fucking heavy. Uh, That's a good point. And it's, like, takes, like, hours to cook. So they didn't really use it. Can't they they cook while something else is happening? Yeah, but I think the issue is, like... Oh, they have to keep like you're trying to mass produce to like mm-hmm. feed an army it's a lot and uh, think about like energy so they didn't really use it in the napoleonic wars but um sure. in 1810 uh, a method using a tin can was developed a um, tin can yay tin cans um they were initially handmade and it was like a again still super slow process um, sure because they were handmade and again the the cans still took like six hours to cook, uh, and they used lead solder. Oh no! <laughs> Which my understanding is that it was in such small quantities that it wasn't thought to cause like widespread lead poisoning. But that was from know. a very cursory look at the internet, so who knows? Um, they're actually a status symbol in the mid 1800s because they were like a bitch to make. Um, so which it was is funny it, now. Yeah, it was a luxury for the rich. Everything is always it always starts as a luxury for the rich and then becomes a a trash heap after a while. Yep. Yeah. Everything. I, everything. Also of interest here. Uh, yes. Apparently, can openers had not been invented, uh, and they wouldn't be invented for almost another thirty years. So you had to just like, Jesus cut, Christ cut them open or. And I quote, this is from Wikipedia, so don't come after me for this, but I, it's headcanon, so fuck <laughs> off. Uh, had to be cut open or smashed on rocks. Yeah, no, that, that's fair. <laughs> cool, great. Mid-1800s, rich people eat canned food. It was like middle class, really. It was like a status symbol. Um, 
And so canning was happening now, not just in Europe, but uh, the first canning factory in the U.S. was 1812. So it's happening. Great canning. Um, and then the 1860s, 1860s uh, was when we started to see uh, machine cans. So they were okay. no longer being made by hand. They were being made by machine. But they still kind of were pretty like rare, but they were still kind of a luxury good. And then a war happened and things changed. So World <laughs> War One okay. is really when canning started to take off. So some countries uh, try to can like staple or like cultural dishes, so, like canned ravioli, things like that. And I mean, there's nothing hugely notable about this except for this sentence that I just I love. Shortages of canned food in the British Army during 1917 led to the government issuing large quantities of cigarettes and amphetamines to soldiers to suppress their appetites. It works. So you remember when we talked about how the French definitely tried that no feeding them thing? Yeah. Yeah, we went back to it. But but at least this time you got some cigs and some... Meth? Crystal out of it, man. Fuck, man. Like... History is wild. Yeah. Like, yeah, it here's, is. Here's just some fucking meth. And so this is really where my history ends, mostly just because, like, like, there's only, you know, like, there's there's technological advancements. But, like, at this point after World War One, like, canned food is popular. Yeah. And we're using it. Cool. Great. Yep, um, interesting things. Uh, in 1974... Samples of canned food from the wreck of the Bertrand, which was a steamboat that sank in the Missouri River in 1865, mm-hmm. were tested by the National Food Processors, Processors Association. Although the appearance, smell, and vitamin content had deteriorated, there was no trace of microbial growth, and the 109-year-old canned food was determined to be still safe to eat. Um, yeah, can you imagine losing the draw and having to eat it? Oh, no, thank you. Like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Also, that was a can pun. Ooh. Ay. Mm. Ay. How do I disconnect you from this Zoom call? Oh, you <laughs> love me and my shitty, shitty puns. It's true. Cool. I'm here for the nerd science. Um, Hit me with some nerd science. Nerd science. So... Now I want to talk about kind of the microbiology of canning and also the, like, technology and engineering that goes behind it. So why do we can food? Um, so I can eat it later. Yeah. So <laughs> so commercial canning, like the kind that we're all thinking of, like canned peas and beans and things like that. The big microorganism that we want to control, which we've talked about on the show before, mm-hmm. uh, Clostridium botulinum or botulism or... Seabot or super deadly asshole bacteria, whatever you want to call it. Super um, deadly asshole sounds like a really good hot sauce. <laughs> or a like sick punk band. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> That's our new band oh, name. We are super deadly asshole. <laughs> so, Clostridium botulinum is a bacteria. And it produces one of the most, if not the most deadly, naturally occurring toxins known to mankind. Um, we've talked about this before, but the toxin produced by Clostridium botulinum, if administered a prop- 
properly, which is borderline impossible. Uh, it would take less than a cup of botulinum toxin to kill the entire population of Earth. Of Earth? Of Earth. How? Because it's deadly af. <laughs> but, like, I mean, there's six billion people. Well, I just said if it were administered properly, which is impossible. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So this is to illustrate how deadly it is. Uh, but for a lot of foodborne illnesses, right, the bulk of what we see is, is you know, short-ish, a couple days, vomit, nausea, diarrhea, maybe a fever, um, sometimes more complicated side effects. But your general run-of-the-mill, like, feeling icky is pretty common. With botulism, the standard is death. Oh, no. And it's rare. It's it's rare, especially still, in, you know, in the U.S., it's still pretty rare. Um, you don't see it in commercially processed foods pretty much hardly ever anymore. But you can see it in home canning, prison right. wine, fermented meats, mm-hmm. particularly like a traditional like Alaskan fish fermentation. Okay. Um, stuff like that. There's also a form of botulism that's wound botulism, so you get cuts and you can get botulism in the cut. Totally I different than I what we're like talking that. about. I don't like that. Don't Google it. It's gross. Who cares? Then there's also infant botulism, which is the most common, and it happens because... You don't cook your baby long enough. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Before putting them in the jar. Yes. No, please don't eat. Please don't eat babies. Infant botulism occurs because children's stomachs are not as acidic as mm-hmm. adult stomachs and clostridium botulinum requires a a high acid or sorry a, a low acid environment to produce its toxin okay and so um like infant botulism is still not super common because generally babies aren't eating raw food products right they're not just like munching on an apple because they can't um right this is why you're not supposed to give babies honey, though, because honey oh. is one of the very, very few raw agricultural products that we feed to babies, and it can contain the botulism spores, right. and because children's stomachs aren't acidic enough, it can uh, start to grow and produce toxin and make the baby sick. So don't give your kids honey. Anyone under the age of two is the rule of thumb. Good to know. Yeah, we've deviated a lot, but whatever. Story of uh, our lives. It's all good. So, Seabot is interesting and important to canning because in addition to being very deadly, uh, it is a spore-forming organism, which, so there's subsets of bacteria that are spore-forming organisms, which means in, um, like, resource-limited or, like, dry or hot environments they can revert to a spore which is just kind of like a seed right uh Hmm. and they can like ride out uh unfavorable conditions and then they can revert to what we call a vegetative bacteria which is a growing bacteria that can in the case of seabot can produce the toxin and the reason that this is a problem is spores are really 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 heat resistant so to inactivate a botulism spore you need to get food to 250 degrees fahrenheit that's more Um, than boiling that's more than boiling so like um for those of you who slept through high school science you can't get stuff that has water in it higher than boiling at atmospheric pressure because it 
will boil, right? Yeah, because it'll go, because it'll turn to steam and then it's no longer there. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many people miss that piece of information. Um, so how do we get things to boil? We have to pressurize them. So <gasps> you can get water mm-hmm. to that high of a temperature, but you have to put it under pressure. Hence, modern canning. Canning can happen a couple different ways. It depends on the the makeup of the food. So if you have a high acid food, so like a salsa, okay. um, some tomato sauces, they'll naturally prevent growth of Clostridium botulinum because okay. they're acidic. And right. so you can you can heat them usually in a water bath. But uh, commercial canning is really important for our. Uh, low acidity, high water activity foods. So they have a low acidity, which means usually above a pH of 4.6. So almost all vegetables. Tomatoes are right on the line. Um, all your legumes. Beans and such. Yeah, beans. All your beans. Um, anything. So I'm going to need to pressurize my succotash is what you're saying. Yeah. You are. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. So anything that's that low acidity and high water activity. So water activity is pretty much just a fancy way of saying uh, moisture. Right. With the caveat that it is uh, microbially available moisture. What? If there is a high amount of solute, so like salt or sugar, okay. uh, the product can seem moist. Uh, but not actually have water available for microbes. So the best example that I like to give is something like a jam or a jelly feels moist. Right. Uh, but actually has a pretty, like a relatively low water activity because all of that water is tied up in solvent or solute. So that water is tied up in the sugars. So it's actually ends up having a lower water activity than you would expect. So that moisture is not readily available for microbes to take it up, um, as opposed to like in something like a pea or a carrot. Like that water is like available for an organism to use. So that's water activity. So those kinds of foods, so again, your, you know, low acid, high water activity, uh, they need to be pressure canned. And this is generally done in a machine called a retort. R-E-T-O-R-T. It's just a big-ass pressure cooker. Nice. I'm sure there are, like, food engineers out there who, if they ever listened to this, would be so mad at me because, like, there's a a whole lot of engineering that goes behind them, but, like, they're just big-ass pressure cookers. They can be huge. They can be, like, multi-stories tall. Wow. Um, Places like Campbell's can have, like, three-story tall retorts that are just they're just big pressure chambers that you either put like a whole batch of cans in at once or like some of these bigger operations have a continuous one where all your little your cans like go on a conveyor and the conveyor is precisely timed to move the product through like different heating and pressure sections of the retort uh, in order to achieve the heating and pressuring and holding and also cooling that's important. Again, it's one of those things that's like super common. Like the vast majority of commercial canning is done that way, um, but people just don't. You don't think like, about it because you just you want the soup yeah. now. Right. And when you think about like, I think one of the things about food processing that I find so interesting is like, 
a lot of these processes seem really simple on the small scale. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, okay, yeah, cool. Like, you can pressure can at home and, you know, whatever. You, you put a few cans in, you, you seal them, you put them into your pressure cooker. Cool. Yeah. But, like, you're trying to make thousands of those a day. So, like, what do you what do? You, do? you probably and, need a bigger stove. Yeah, and your energy bill is going to be redonk. Can you uh, imagine getting a call from your cops? Because they think you're growing weed because of all the energy you're using, but instead you're just making too much salsa. <laughs> You've made too much jelly. Fun fact: neither salsa nor jam jelly really actually need to be pressure cooked; they just need to be boiled. But we digress. Fair enough. Uh, don't take my word. I'm gonna. I've got a whole little spiel at the end about home canning because I don't want anyone suing us. Um. <laughs> so, in the same vein of shit that seems way more complicated, but when you think about mass production, it's really important. I want to talk about sealing cans. Okay. So, as like, I mentioned, are those different than the cans on the floor? Oh damn it! I'm leaving. Goodbye forever. That's fair. Fair enough. So now, what is used is called a, it's called a double seam, and it's a. Very, very precise process. Corey, I have a riddle for you. It's not a Uh-oh. riddle. I love riddles. How many layers of metal do you think exist in the seam of a canned product? Twelve. <laughs> Twelve. <laughs> it's so high. No, it's five. It's five. Okay. It's five. I don't know. But like. I've, know, I've seen points. I've seen puff pastry have 18 layers. That's true. You're I watched right. that knife show and they make 72 layers out of one piece of fucking you, metal. I don't know what's right. in a can. You're right. You're right. That's five. <laughs> it's five. So five. three okay. layers from the can end and two from the body. And so effectively, I really just suggest Googling. It's very cool. If you Google double seam, you can see like x-ray vis- visual of it. But like effectively, you have your seal on the top and your can side and they end up like hooking around and into each other they're holding hands they're holding hands and there's like there's like a whole list of of like codified defects and seams Uh and essentially it's really important because your canned food is only as good as your seam right Right. because like the moment you have punctures you no longer have a sterile environment which is why they always say, you know, canned food's pretty much good forever unless the seam is damaged, then you need to trash it. Right. Because you could die. And they've got great names. So we've got the cover droop. Okay. Uh, which is it like droops down like below the bottom of the seam. Okay. Uh, we've got a deadhead. Uh, a deadhead. Yeah, we do or spinner, also referred to as slips or skids, is an incomplete seam caused by the chuck spinning in the countersink during the seaming operation. I don't know what either of those words mean. We've got the knocked down flange. Flange? Flange? Flange. 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 It's a critical seam defect. Uh, Uh It occurs when the cover hooks and the body hooks don't interlock uh, because the the can was like bent before the thing happened. So I bring this up because like this is literally like a whole field of codification and like science. Um, 
And to this day, the FDA, it requires that one double seam per seaming machine has to be visually inspected every 30 minutes in a processing line. Wow. So, like, it's literally someone's job to take a sea, a can, and usually they pop it under an x-ray um, so that you can visually inspect the shaping. That's um, wild. Right? Isn't that crazy? Also, you're talking about just, like, mind-numbing. Oh, yeah. Important, but mind-numbing. In addition... One can per line must be cut open and inspected with a micrometer or a seam scope that projects a magnified image of the seam and allows you to measure. Like, there's all these required specifications for... So each of the five layers in in that yeah. shape have a name. Of course um, they do. Yeah, you've got an end, a body hook, a cover hook, a body, and a countersink. This sounds worse than boats. You know how, like, everything on a boat has a name? And people who like boats are like, no, that's not left. It's starboard. No, you're on the poop deck. Like, fuck off. <laughs> it's just like Starbucks uh, coffee. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's a medium. It's just like, just call it, it that. It's a venti. So, but there are, like, regulations around, like, how long each of those can be and, like, how much overlap there has to be. So, someone has to, like, do that every four hours where they take one off, like, cut it open, magnify it, and, like, measure it. Right. So, it's, like, very, very specific, which I just find, I just love this kind of shit where it's, like, no one thinks twice about it except for, like, the 40 people whose jobs it is yeah. to, like, look at x-rays of can seams. I, I just Love realized it. that, like, you said they have to check one can every half an hour on a yeah. line. Yeah. And in my head, there was only one line in this factory. Uh. So there's a very bored gentleman who has an alarm set for every 30 minutes. <laughs> he has to go and look at a can and then go back yeah. to sitting in an empty room where he's wow. not allowed to do anything. I like the idea of them keeping him like in an empty room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It this is this is where Canboy Jim goes when he's Can- not checking the cans. This is where Canboy Jim goes. Canboy Jim. Canboy Jim. <laughs> Somebody go get Canboy Jim. We got to go look at some cans. Canboy Jim. They're all named Jim. <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. This is your Canboy Jim. In his closet. Canboy Jim's closet. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to finish on home canning because, uh, like, I don't want people getting botulism. Please, guys. yeah. If you're so. listening to this podcast and if you get botulism, <laughs> it's your own fucking fault. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and if you want a home can, you totally should. Home canning is awesome. I am a huge proponent of making all manner of food at home. Huge proponent of acidifying food at home, like making your own kimchi, your own pickles, yeah. make your own jams, jellies. I had to make barbecue sauce for a school project Ooh. in my master's program. Very cool. What what uh, school project did you need to make barbecue sauce for? It was for a food preservation class. But I am a huge proponent of making stuff at home um, and learning. I think it's really valuable to learn how that stuff is made absolutely Um, and it can be really cool just like be safe so like if you're gonna can stuff you should look up how to do it i think Um. i think that's pretty (laughs) 
pretty sage yet general advice for practically anything. Yeah, you know, you think, right? And, like, I don't fucking follow some blog that's, like, organic mommy eats. You should be going to your local extension service. They have a website, I promise. If you Google... What is an extension service? Oh, I was hoping you would ask. (laughs) An extension service is a woefully underfunded national program. Uh, The extension service was, and I took a whole class on the history of extension service, and I'm going to butcher the shit out of it now. I don't remember when it was started. Probably the 1900s. 1922. So the extension service was initially... And still operates under this model that it is intended to be the bridge between university research and the people who need that research. And so Uh the extension Uh service was created in conjunction with land-grant universities. So this was like 1900s, I think. Um, Every state has two land-grant universities, uh, one of which is a HBCU, a historical black college or university, and then uh, another land-grant that was established earlier. And land-grant universities are tasked with a lot of your kind of like like practical uh, uh, fields of research. So like they have your ag schools, poultry science, food science... Uh, forestry, things like that. And so land grants were created in conjunction with the extension service, and it was the job of the extension service to take the work being done at a land-grant university and make sure that people like farmers, Mm -hmm. primarily farmers at the time, uh, received that information and could put it to use. Um, Nowadays, extension service still operates and still pairs with, with universities, so like extension is great. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um, (laughs) But if you want to can almost every extent, like if you just Google like Maryland extension canning, it'll come up with way more in-depth information than I could ever provide you. Um, And you should always consult that, especially if you're canning because you can, you can kill people. Um, If you're, you know, there are cases where people will, home can something and then die um so you should always be following you know verified processes when in doubt go to an extension service don't listen to mommy bloggers i think our next our next sticker should be contact your local extension office it's very cool well that's a good place i think to uh to stop yeah try to can some stuff let us know how it goes yeah send Um, us pictures of things that you've canned it's really or, satisfying. Or even better, send us... No, don't send us food. No, don't, that's weird. I will no. not... I no. I will not eat canned products that are sent to us in the mail. Call your extension agents, everyone. Good, <laughs> good night. And this has been Teach Me Something Good. It has been Teach Me Something Good, and we have been taught. Every, every day we are still alive is a testament towards some scientist. It's true. At some point. At some point, somewhere. Yep. (laughs) Probably a lot of scientists. Yeah. Don't know which one, but thank you anyway. This was Teach Me Something Good. I'm Coriana Tato. And I'm Katie Overby. Email us comments, questions, criticisms, or concerns to podcast at teachme.show. Or you can tweet us. We're at 
Teach Me Show on Twitter. Visit our website for more episodes at teachme.show. And if you like what you heard, we'd love a review on your podcasting platform of choice. Thanks. And And bye. bye. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to apocalypsepodcastnetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard.